2: Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Sebastian. I'm joined, as always, by the original Long Island iced bee, Benny Scallop. Benny, how you doing, buddy?
1: Dan, to to use the words of the great Pedro Morales, who often said, "I ready for any kind of action, Vince. And uh, just a moment, we're going to
2: talk to a man who is actually action personified. Well, you know, it's funny you uh, you, you talk about action. We ha- we had some action on the uh, on the charts recently, Benny. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so our guest is,
1: I mean, he's a true legend. You know, the word legend is used so loosely, but this man is no question that he's a legend in the sport we love so dearly. He wrestled all over the country, actually all over the world, and he won enough gold to fill a wing at Fort Knox. And in the process, he made you either want to hug him or run him out of town. And there's only one man that fits the description. And it's so fitting that on on the night where we're number thirteen in the Emerald Isle Island, uh, Ireland rather, that we're interviewing a man named McGraw, but not just any McGraw. It is the one and only Bugsy McGraw. Mister McGraw, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring.
0: Oh hey, I like that intro. My my golly, you don't have to stop. That was pretty good. <laughs> I love those adjectives. Keep on coming.
1: I, I'm, I'm my, Bugsy. My contract's up for renegotiation. I'm putting. I'm, I'm <laughs> turning it on full force there.
2: Hey, and right. on laying it on thick. Oh yeah. We, we cracked well,
1: the I'm top. Free, I'll be a free agent pretty
2: soon. I was going to say you cracked the top fifteen, and you're already coming to me with raise demands.
1: <laughs> there
0: you go. Praise God.
2: <laughs> well. You know, Bugsy, we always uh, we always start our interviews with the same question. We love the answers. Everybody's different, and it really kind of sets the tone. So we'll start with uh, start a question with you, as as always. Um, how did you? How did it all start for you? I mean, I know you grew up in Indiana. Uh, that a neighbor of yours was a you said was a wrestling referee, and you first your first show was when you were still a young kid, uh, which I mean that that would have been if my math is right, late fifties. Uh, so what kind? I mean. How did it get started? Who, who did you see wrestle back then? And was and and what was the transition from fan to deciding to become a wrestler?
0: Uh, it's like, let me tell you about the time. But well, the wrestlers, the Bruiser, Dick the Bruiser, Yukon Eric, so Cowboy Ellis, the Shire Brothers. You know who the Shire Brothers are? Right? Oh
1: yeah, Roy and Ray. Roy,
0: well, there you go, exactly, man. Uh, so who else they had? Oh, what was the, what was the guy's name? Was, of, was Wil
1: was Wilbur wrestling then? Bugsy Wilbur Snyder.
0: Well, yeah, he was part of the part of the promotion too. Okay. Well, you know what it was at the time. The first time, the first few times I went with my friend, uh, you know, the referee and, and his son. The owner of the territory was. Uh, yeah, Jim Barnett, and uh yeah know, they took it over from Jim Barnett, well, in other words, they stole it, you
1: know, <laughs> right, they didn't pay it, they just yeah. took it,
0: yeah, exactly, they just took it, right. so um like I'll account of time one time we're going to some show by uh, when I was in wrestling, they call them spite shows. So I'm just a kid, like, roughly, I don't know, roughly 12 years old or 14, I don't know. And we get out of the car, and Lou Thomas, the referee, he says, I'm running late. He hands me his suitcase, he says, he says, I want you to take the suitcase into uh, you know, the dressing room. And I'm looking at him like, really? Okay, I'll do it. So I take this suitcase, boy. I I open the door to the dressing room. I walk in, and boom, everybody is looking at me. There's Cowboy Alice. There's the Bruiser. There's Snyder's. There's, there's Yukon Eric. There's this, you know, like... <clears throat> And I'm looking at all of them and I said, it's for the referee, it's for the referee. And then I turn around and I run out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true story, true story. So, you know, that's how I got the interest in it, you know. I mean, back then, I mean, it was so uh, wrestling in Indiana. That's when they first, they first, they first had it on the TV. And wrestling was so hot. I mean, you cannot believe how hot it was. I mean, they were drawn everywhere they went. They were having riots all the time. You know, like with, you like like, yeah, the Shire, Brothers. my God they One time at all at, 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 at the Coliseum in Indianapolis, they had a riot. They had to keep the Shire brothers in the dressing room until
1: uh,
0: r- r- roughly 4 a.m. <laughs> the fans <laughs> were out there. I mean, they were ready to kill them. I mean, dead. That's oh, the
2: yeah. uh, that's the stories you hear about having to sneak people out of the arena in the trunk of a car.
0: Exactly
1: exactly yeah it's exactly. amazing
2: when you think about it, like how i mean now
1: people go to watch wrestling to be entertained you know but back then when you went to a wrestling match as a fan it was very very real i mean from from an emotional standpoint i mean you really hated the heels you didn't you know it, it was very real
0: yeah yeah and, and back then when i was a kid the number one heel was the bruiser, right? The Bruiser was amazing. Like people would say, they would say things like, "Well, you know, that professional wrestling, I think it's phony, but the Bruiser's real. The Bruiser, he's really real.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Everything else is, (laughs) yeah.
0: I mean, everything
1: else is fake, but the Bruiser was real.
0: Oh yeah, because you know, I mean, he. Well, you know his history. I'm. Well, I'm not sure if he did. Yeah, he went to four college. Yeah, yeah, he was, yeah, he was all pro, you know, and, and he went to, um, uh, he went to four colleges and he, and, and, and he got, and he got the, he got he, he kicked out of four colleges,
1: yeah, because of fighting. Jeez. <laughs> he was preparing for his, uh, profession. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, He's just
1: getting he, in shape he, for wrestling.
0: One time, there. Uh, one time in his house, he had some people. I don't know who they were. They broke into the house, right? So he was home, and and he kicked this one in the groin so hard that, yeah. Yeah,
1: he broke his hip. I mean, you talk about a stupid criminal. <laughs> you break into the house and dick the Bruiser. Yeah, yeah how's true. that for bad luck?
0: I mean, that's a true story, right there. He oh. kicked him so hard, <laughs> he broke the guy's hip. <laughs>
1: oh, <God>. hell! Uh, yeah. <laughs> Bugsy, Bugs, speak, speaking of strong, so like you were always noted you had this gigantic chest and I don't think you really got your just due for actually how strong you were as a wrestler. And uh, I know from reading your book that when you were at Purdue, uh, you hit the gym pretty hard um, during your four years at Purdue University. And Dan and I are actually very big fans of bodybuilding. So we were just curious what kind of like workout regimen you had at that time.
0: Well, uh, you know, I was, Younger, of course, when I first went to Purdue, I was only seventeen, and uh, the the main thing right back then I concentrated on it was the bench press, and my lifts, and uh, you know, like I'm telling you the truth, there's no exaggeration. So my lifts, I I got up to five, I got up to five so f- the five the five forty on the bench. Wow! Yes. It- yeah, so two reps. I got the I got the five. I got five twenty-five for three reps. I got the five hundred for five reps. I got the four hundred five for ten reps. Damn. I got the I got the um. What was it? Three fifteen. Yep. yep. Yeah, for thirty five reps I got the two twenty five for seventy five reps.
1: Holy cow. Wow. So you were doing more like you were you weren't really bodybuilding, you were more powerlifting then, correct? Yeah, true. Wow, that's like that's
2: but
0: everything impressive. I'm telling you but everything I'm telling you there, you know, I'm not exaggerating because I anything I could press once, I could press you know, like, not just one time, but, uh, you know, all a few
2: times at least.
1: Yeah. Wow.
2: That's that's insane to, to think, too. Um, you know, that was just, like you said, the reps and the weight. And how many times, Benny, on the show, have we had conversations about the minimal physiques of a lot of talent today? I mean, how many how many – guys wrestling today you think can even press 250 more or less more than once yeah
0: yeah yeah that's very true when later on in life you know at the gyms you know i mean when i got older you know like you go to the gym and it was um you would see guys they would press they, they would press a 405 or something like that one time and they thought they were super strong And I thought, damn, boy, uh, you know, it all it has really changed. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the other guy that could really press too, uh, and I believe him was, um, that was Ivan Putsky. He he got up to five, uh, up to five. Yes, 95. One rep though. One rep. But that, you know. I believed him,
1: uh,
0: it, uh, so he was strong. I knew he was strong.
1: And he wasn't a big guy. Was he like five foot seven? Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. Yeah.
2: Wow. That was uh. <laughs> old Bob, Bobby Heenan on commentary said Putski would enter the gym and the weights would get up and run away. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck Norris, right?
0: Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. It was like yeah, I'm trying to think of it. Oh yeah, I remember one time with was Putsky that that we're uh, I think we're in Allentown. We're doing the TV, and Monsoon walks in, and he tells me he says you're working with Putsky, and I and I threw a fit. <laughs> I mean, I said, Gino. I said, Are you out of your mind? I said, Pusky, I go on TV with Pusky. You know, you know how he is. He never going to sell a damn thing. I said, I'm not doing it. I said, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like, I'm not doing it. This is ridiculous. <laughs> you know, he doesn't sell on TV. So Monsoon said, uh, I'll be right back. Hold on. So he goes back, and he talks to Putsky, and he comes back. Yeah, so he said, Okay, it's all said. And I said, Yeah, so what do you mean it's all said? He said, I told Podsky that if he doesn't sell, you're going to kick him in the nuts. <laughs> That'll
2: do it. So, <laughs> yeah. So,
0: so he did sell. <laughs> so.
2: Talk, talk about making people believe it's real, Benny. Jeez.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah. Well, but, you, you know, you were, overall, I, I would say overall he was a good guy. But, you know, I mean, he, you get him in, you know, in certain situations. And it's like, you know, he always wanted to look like super strong with everybody. And I would not go to have that crap, you know what I mean? Yeah, because I was a worker. I mean, I really prided myself on my work. And you know, that time I told yeah you know, monsoon, I said I ain't doing it because he, he won't sell on TV. I said this is bullshit. <laughs> he said he will sell. <laughs> so he did. <laughs> yeah,
2: true story. That's funny. Well, you talk about your uh, you know early starts. You initially. Began your career with the Sheiks, big time wrestling in Detroit. Uh, yeah, I, I believe it was it was Tom Jones was the name of the wrestler who trained you, and and I know you, you've told the stories before about your your training being under less than favorable conditions. I think you described it as a high school gym with one mat on the floor. If you were lucky, can you yeah. tell tell uh, tell our listeners a little bit about your training, like what that was like in the early days? Oh yeah,
0: well we go to some place and all you know back. But Then this
2: was back when
0: this is in the in the late 60s, and so with Tom Jones, or, you know, you know, I asked him to help me out. It, yeah, so he said he would. We go to some place, and all they had on the floor was a mat, you know, and and you know, I remember one time he let me have a hip toss, boy, and I go up oh, in man. the air. And I land and boy did it hurt. I mean, damn, I went but I jumped up and the first thing I said, Okay, I wanna try that again because I knew that I had to take the pain, otherwise, you know, I was out, you know. So I I said, no, One more time, let's do it again and he, he hip tossed me again and you know, that's the way you begin to learn and on and on and on, you know, you learn you know because you don't know really how at when you first begin you don't know how to take those bumps and so you have to take the pain at first otherwise you're going to quit you know otherwise you know so so I took the pain over and over and over up until the time I really began to learn how to uh, protect myself
2: well uh for I mean Keeping with that trend, then I know from you. you talked about the, the weights earlier from a physical perspective. You were really unique, especially for the time. I mean, you were billed at three seventeen. You know, you had the physique that looked like you could, you know, yeah. press a, press a truck. But you were you were still very agile, and you could go long long bouts. Usually, guys of your you know that the big muscle heads didn't have the stamina and agility. Uh, I know Davey O'Hannon has been on the show couple you know in the past and he was telling us the uh, upcoming mat he had an upcoming match with bruno he said you made the comment you were gonna blow bruno up and i mean bruno was known for his stamina the fact that you you felt you could do that uh i mean speaks volumes to the kind of condition you were in so um kind of expanding on the training a little bit what did you do to maintain uh one the stamina the agility the physique but also you had that 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 physique and that stamina for such a long um uh stretch of matches like you could keep the long fast-paced match uh going it wasn't the the usual broadways that would slow down uh so could you kind of expand on, on what kind of training you did to keep that level of physique yeah well
0: i tell you what you know after a while i mean this gets a little involved with the training uh, i learned you know that i I, I, I could see because I was on the road now and I'm working as a professional wrestler and this is what I wanted to do. I was working for the Sheik. I remember one time I had to drive to Cleveland a round trip and, and I was on my own because where I lived there weren't there weren't any other wrestlers that were working for the Sheik besides the Tom Jones. So but I had to go to Cleveland and so was a round trip of over, of over 700 miles and I wrestled three times. Yeah. For $10, you know, oh my <laughs> but, but still, you know, I didn't care. I just, I didn't care. I thought it was great. I thought, okay, I'm a professional wrestler now. Okay. So, you know, that's what I did. Uh, but the training, yeah, because that's an excellent point that you bring up because I learned, you know, that uh, so, uh, um, you had to be in shape. You know what I mean? That's one of the things you had to excel at in the ring. You had to be in shape if you are going to draw money. That was one of the things. You had to learn your craft. You had to learn how to work. Working is an art form. Most wrestlers were, you know, they, they like I used to say years ago, they were house painters. I was an artist, right? Cause I used to, t- I mean, I used to really control the, you know, the whole match, everything. Because, you know, I like, I would see things like uh, you go in the ring, I, I mean, I would see, one of the things I hated because I would watch all the time, you know, when you're, when you're first learning, you're just watching or, or you should be, you should be watching. And so I would watch these guys in the ring and I would see the heels. They take the heat on the baby face, you know, I mean, for a long time, I mean, I'm talking. Roughly 15 minutes, you'll up to 20 minutes, right, of heat beating on the heel. And then he gets a comeback, and the comeback would last maybe, maybe, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, roughly 60 seconds. And I'm thinking, that guy just got through, he just got through selling for 20 minutes and the comeback is only 60 seconds. I thought this is pure un- unadulterated crap. That's why I say most guys, they could work some, you know, but they were house painters. I was an artist. So I, one time when I would take heat on the baby face because I like to work heel a lot, I would take that heat and, and, and And I get some serious heat because I would, and of course, it would depend on the baby face because usually off and on, I'd have to tell him, I'd say, hey, listen, um, I just want you to know that I'm going to take the heat on you and that if you don't, and that if you don't really sell me, I'll make you look like shit. (laughs) So... I got my point over, you know what I mean? So I would take the meat on the baby face and I, and then when it was time to make the comeback, I'd make the comeback last easy for 10 minutes, easy. It's knowing what to do at the time to do it. And I had the crowd going crazy all the time because I could keep it coming and keep it coming. It was, and then. Before long, everyone, you know, they wanted to work with me because, you know, I made the comeback last. The other guys, you know, they take the heat on the guys, beat them down, beat them down, and then they get a 60-second comeback. Bullshit. That is so bad. I mean, that's not working, you know. That's just, you know, that's, I mean, that's really stupid. But me, I would make sure they have a long, like, oh, here, okay. I'll give you an example, a true example. We're going, I'm yeah, I'm in yeah, New York, and we're working on the TV. And I'm working with Pat Barrett. Now, Pat and I, we knew each other, and he knew that he could trust me. See what I'm saying? So, we go on the TV, and I mean, I'm telling you the truth now. And I took the heat on him, and I mean, I'm beating him down like a dog. And I'm beating on him, and I'm beating him, and he's selling, and he's selling. And then. Um, Yeah, Dominic DiNucci runs out to the ring and he tells Pat Barrett, Pat, you're selling too much. You're selling too much. You got to do something. And Pat Barrett says, don't worry about it. Don't worry. Because he knew who he was working with, me. So at the right time, yeah, he made the comeback. I made him look like King Kong. I mean, up, down, over the ropes, in and out, everything, you know what I mean? It's like, it was, you yeah, we had a great, um, um, patch, uh, yell on the TV, you know, because he trusted me because he knew what I would do and how I would right. do it. So, you know, yeah, he would really sell me like, yeah, you're yeah, like crazy, you know, so, but that's a true story there too. But, uh, on the training uh, the other thing I wanted to say on the training was this, but uh, for years I worked on the bench press, you know, with the power, the power and the power and the power. And so, like I said, I got up to 540, you know, the other two reps. And that was my, uh, that was the highest I ever got. Yeah, you know, I was up to five, I was up to 540.
2: And
0: wow. so I can see, you know, that helped me. You know, with some, but that when you're using a bench press, that won't put you in shape. It will not put you in shape. So I changed the workout. Then I used a clean and press with a hang clean. It's also called the power clean. And I would do a set every 60 seconds. Every time that second hand would hit 12, I would do a set. So my set would consist of roughly, roughly 30 seconds of work and then I would have the 30 seconds of rest, and I'd hit the next set, and the next set, and the next set. I got myself in shape. I mean, see, uh, yeah, because the clean and press is the best. If you had to pick out one exercise in the whole world that would really help, you know, to have you in shape, it's the clean and press, because it works every muscle from the ankle up, uh, through the neck, wow. every muscle, every muscle. So that's what I used for years was the cleaning press, mm-hmm. and I had myself in shape. I I've had guys. I'm I'm not exaggerating. <clears throat> I had guys in the ring that after a while they would just look at me, and they're laying on that and saying, "Just pin me. I can't go <laughs> anymore. <laughs> he just over. Please pin me. I can't get up anymore. You know. I mean, if I had to run them over." You know because i i would show him you know like hey i'm in shape yeah you want to try me okay let's go and, and so that was the thing you know when you brought up bruno Martino and so i knew you know i mean this guy had a reputation you know he was not only strong and he was strong he was real strong So I go in the garden, we have the main event, and and so, you know, I tell a few people, I'm going to blow him up, watch this, because I knew I was in shape. I was not just in good shape, I was in fantastic shape. So I come out to that ring, boy, and we get into it, and we went, I mean, we're going up and down, and he's staying with me, man, and and I'm kind of halfway surprised, you know, because, you know, a lot of guys, they couldn't stay with me. So, so we're going up and down and we're getting it. I mean, it was good. And then one time I looked, you know, he's in the other corner. I'm in the opposite corner. I'm on my knees. He's in the other corner and he's jumping up and down. Yes, yeah, so he's doing like uh, jumping jacks and tucks. And I look across the ring at him and I thought, Damn you, son of a bitch! And I got pissed off. I thought, my God, this guy—he's hardly phased—and I'm, I'm working my ass off. I mean, I jumped up and I charged him again, and we went at it again. I mean, we had a great match, fantastic match, you know. And uh, you know, I, 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 on the finish, I remember, uh, you know, I slammed him three times. Uh, most guys, if you try to if you tried to slam them three times in a row, they would tell you, what the hell do you think you're doing? He didn't say a word, not a word. Man, I picked him up, slammed him. I picked him up, and I slammed him. I picked him up, and I slammed him. And then I came off of the top rope. So he moved, I hit, and the comeback started. I made him look like King Kong personified. Up and down, over the ropes, in and out, bang, boom, bang. And so he uh, he liked that, you know, because a lot of guys he worked with weren't 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 even close to that type of work, you know. What I mean, so he liked it a lot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, gee, um, yeah, you in in the book you you gave a lot of praise to Bruno, but also I read that and I've heard this too that Bruno has said. That you are actually one of the most professional wrestlers that he ever worked with. So I, I grew up on Long Island, and, and you know I was a huge fan in the '70s. So, a couple of questions for you. Number one, how does it feel to be praised like that by who I think, and a lot of people think, is the greatest wrestler of all time? And the second thing is, I, you know, and when we we chatted off I said this to uh, to you that. I really think that you should have had a much longer program with Bruno. That would have been great, and I think it would have drew a ton of money. So just curious to see your thoughts on both of those questions.
0: Okay, let me tell you this for one thing, so don't forget before before I start on the other leg. Okay, when I'm working with Bruno, Vince McMahon, yes, a senior, he's standing beside... Monsoon watching the match. See, I've been told this from Lou Albano, or you know, I mean, it's a true story. He's standing beside Monsoon watching our match. He turns to Monsoon and goes, "I." So he's watching me work, and I'm taking bump after bump, and I'm going up and down, and we're we're having a great match. and He turns to Monsoon and says, "How come the other guys? They they don't they don't." Let's take the pumps, uh, Yeah, like McGraw. And, I mean, he was impressed, right? Like, my God, this guy can take them bumps. He's going up and down. Gino, why don't the other guys do that? <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a true story. Now, what's the other part of the question I forgot, sir?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. So, you know, as far as the program with Bruno, you only had that one match. I really think you could have done a, a three-off with Bruno and sold out the Garden three times.
0: Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, see what? Uh, you know, okay. I'll tell you another true story here. I mean, uh, well, I remember, you know what? I mean, this is good. I was, my second territory, I went to Calgary. And they had, <laughs> they, oh, oh, yeah. The, the, when I went to Calgary at that time, it was 1969. It was, the, and they had the first, the worst winter they had for roughly forty years. Oh my God, I could tell you horror stories about the cars and uh, that we travel. Oh, I mean, it was, it was cold. But anyway, uh, the main attraction up there was the Stomper. You know yeah. who the Stomper, Arch, is? Archie Goldie.
1: Oh, I yeah, Archie Goldie. Yeah. yeah.
0: So he told me. So he looks at me and he says. You know, so he's talking about working in New York, and he says to me, "He says we should go to New York." And he said, and then he said after this, "Don't go there without me." Now, how ironic! I have to tell you this: it was six years after that that I got the main event at the Garden, you know, in New York City. And I got that main event. You know why? Archie Goldie, the Stomper, had that main event, and then he canceled. And when they canceled, they put me in. And they never expected to draw a house. Vince told everybody, "If I draw, if I draw, if I draw seventy percent of a house, I'll be happy."
1: At and the Garden, stuff- you mean? Yes. yes, that's okay. a garden.
0: massive square garden. Now, here's the thing. We sold the place out. I mean, it was packed. Plus, they had the felt form. Now, they did not think that they could do anything in the felt form. So they did not open it. If they had the felt form, we would have sold out the felt form, too.
1: That was another like 5,000 seats, wasn't it? Exactly.
0: 5,000 yeah. seats. Yeah. But they did not open the full form because they didn't wow. think, oh, uh, I don't think, uh, I don't know if we're going to have a sellout or not, blah, blah, blah. So they didn't have that. And, um, yeah. Bruno, though, you know, he, I mean, he tried to help me. Um, he tried to help me. He was really good. I was making uh you know i was wrestling in the territory and he um I mean he liked my work. And I think I worked with him one other time in some small show I'm not sure. I'm really not sure about that now. And but anyway I'm you know I'm doing okay. I mean, you know uh but he goes to Vince to Vince the senior and he told him, yeah, yeah because he came to me and he said, Man, you need to get out of here and we need to work a program. And he says as long as you're here now, they're not gonna let you have a program. I said, okay. So he went to Vince McMahon, senior, and told him, I'm gonna send McGraw out of here because you know you're not really using him right. And Vince Sr. goes, no, you can't have, no, no, there's no way. I'm not sending him out of here. I'm using him. No. So Bruno then tells Vince Sr., well, if you're going to use him here, then you pay him. You pay him well. This is no exaggeration. In one week, one week later, my income, uh, he'll increased." By yeah, by five hundred dollars a week. It went up by five hundred
1: dollars wow. a week, and it, <laughs> that was you know, some good money, was money back then. That's a, you're talking like the mid 70s That's that's pretty good dough. Yeah, like
0: I was making between 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 the thirteen to fifteen a week then.
1: That's nice. Uh, yeah, that's nice money. Yeah,
0: yeah, yes, it was back then. It was excellent money. And so, you
1: know, it's like, you know,
0: so he told Vince, he said, no, I'm going to send him out of here. He, uh, he says, he's, you know, he's a great, you should be using him on top all the time. And, and so Vince went, no, no, you can't. No, don't do that. I'm not, I'm not letting him go. No, because Vince like my work too. Vince McMahon, senior. I'm not just no exaggeration right, again. Right. He, he would show up. When we're doing the t v and he would stay in and and then watch the um matches on the television set you know that was in the dressing room, but for my matches, he would walk outside and watch me True story, yeah, I can't
1: believe that yeah that's well, team, how, you know, um, yeah we we uh I've, I've actually had the pleasure of chatting with the uh, the unpredictable Johnny Rods a number of number of times. Really, really nice guy. and actually wrote a story about him for the, uh, the pro wrestling stories website. But I would actually argue that like Bugsy McGraw, the wrestler, was really, truly the unpredictable one. And I mean that in a way that like your psychology was such that you really didn't know from one minute to the next. Which way you were going, which is like you always kept the fans kind of off balance, which I thought was a great thing. So, is that just my perception, or or was that something you did by design?
0: Design, but you saw, you know, you're, you're, you have, you have some real perception because a lot of the guys in the profession, I'm talking about the wrestlers, they didn't understand, you know, I mean, I would do things. You want to get the people's attention. See what I'm saying? And I would do things that no one else would do. No one. No one else. Like, you know, one of the things, you know, like, you got to get with the fans. You want to get in their head. One of the things I used to say, so here's the thing. No matter what arena you, what arena you are in, you go to Madison Square Garden, you get in that ring. And the situation becomes you are one. And if you sell out the garden, because if you sell out the garden, it's uh, 23,000 23, people. I say, you become one, and that whole arena becomes one. And what you have to remember is you didn't pay to see them, they paid to see you. So I always controlled my crowd. I made sure, you know, because I didn't pay to see them. They paid to see me. So you're going to do what I tell you to do. See what I'm saying? Uh,
1: oh, absolutely. And then,
0: so like, as an example, I, I mean, all, all kinds of stuff I would do. Like you go in the ring and, and I would, and I would walk back and forth between the ropes. Right. And I keep on walking and I keep on walking and then they would ring the bell. You have to start the match. I just walk back and forth, back and forth. I wouldn't stop back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. See, you do it. You don't just quit after a few seconds because then, you know, Oh, well, okay. I would keep it up for minutes back and forth. Back and forth. What's this guy doing? What, what, what's wrong with him? They rang, you know, you got them. See, you grab them and you bring them in. It was like uh, I'll give you an example. I heard Al Pacino, you know, that, of the actor, one time. You know, he how he was talking, but it was the same sort of thing. You know, when he acts, he goes. You know, you reach out, you get your fans by the collar and then you drag them right in your face and say, you're going to like what I do. So I, you know, I learned too. you know, that's one of the things I would learn. Like, you know, I came here because you're paying to see me. I'm not paying to see you. So that means I control you. You don't control me. So that's the whole thing. You know, I I would make the, you know, there was all kinds of things like, you know, you've seen guys, you know, when they go over to the turnbuckle and then they hit their head on the turnbuckle. Okay. Well, they hit it three or four times and they act like they're mad. <laughs> I kept on hitting it and hitting it and hitting it for a minute for over a minute, I wouldn't stop. And the people are thinking, damn, this guy is really nuts. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> and here's the other that. thing I learned. And here's the other thing I learned. Oh man, man, uh, yeah, there's some other things I could tell you that are so great. But that's the thing <laughs> I learned. You know, obviously, uh, uh, one of the things I learned too: if the fans, if they think you're really nuts, they're afraid of you. <laughs> they're truly afraid of you. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's like, i and I, I have been, I have been involved with some riot well actually a lot of riots yeah because I caused them (laughs) 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 I caused them on purpose yeah but I knew how you know what I'm saying
2: I knew how to do it work the crowd
0: oh yeah yeah it's like um see there's nothing back I don't know what they consider now but like back i mean i would watch and there and i learned there was nothing in the world that drew money like a vicious heel i mean a vicious heel where the fans would be going oh my god he's gonna kill the baby face. he's really gonna hurt him and once once they begin to think that then they're thinking riot see what i'm saying but <laughs> I could tell you about some rides
2: I was in. It was amazing. But anyway, what's your <laughs> next question? <laughs> well, moving forward a little bit uh, from the 70s to today, uh, back in the day, it was your responsibility as the talent, as the wrestler, to get yourself over. Promos, ring work, like you said, you got to work the crowd, get with the crowd. Um, I mean, today... The entrances are overly choreographed. Promos are scripted. Backstage segments are scripted. And a lot of wrestlers just do the same thing. It, it, they're interchangeable. Um, what, everything you just described about the mentality and the psychology and being smarter and, and working with the fans and getting in their heads. I don't think that that Bugsy McGraw like that could thrive in today's environment with a scripted and 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 formulaic as it is. Do do you agree or or not?
0: Was there formula? Well, you know, when you're... hmm, That's a good question there, young man. Uh, There are times that the formula works, but, you know, like... (coughs) I think, too, that... uh, Most of your promoters, you know, they would realize that if they see a guy with real talent that do how to handle himself on the mic and on, uh, you know, and on the interview, they, you know, they wouldn't say a whole lot, you know, they wouldn't be going, no, 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 we want you to do this at this certain time, stand over here. No, they, most of them would recognize, oh, hey, this guy's got some real talent. He knows how to talk to these people, see. So I think, you know, they would, you would, <laughs> if they saw that, I think they would have some leeway there. Yeah. Uh, um, but, you know, it, it's like, and, and, and it's the same, it's the same thing on the interview. I mean, I learned this. Here's something I learned, you know, by watching, by watching. You go in that interview and, and then you start talking and you go in there and you say, listen, and see what, for instance, mm, just uh, this, I mean there's just a lot I have to say. For instance, like when I was
2: uh, when I was in Florida,
0: you know, my my interviews were so good that people I would still I would see people on the outside and they come up to me and they go, "Are you a lawyer? Are you a judge? Are you a college professor?" No, I'm serious. no I'm not exaggerating this stuff. And they would ask me, man, are you a college professor? My God, you know, and, oh, you must be a judge or something, right? Because, you know, because I would get in their heads because I hated, you know, the average interview back then. Oh, yeah, my opponent's tough. He's really tough. And I know I'm tough. And I'm really mad. And we're not. Oh, man, please. It sucks. Get a, You know, like. <laughs> I couldn't stand those interviews. You know, like, oh, forget that crap. You got to get in their head, like you get in there, and yeah, you start in. Oh, look at this. Oh, there's a whole bunch of wrestling fans right behind that camera. And oh, you know, I see you. I see you sitting there on the couch. like that. You bald-headed fart. You're sitting right by your wife. And she's got on the moo-moo and that tire tube all around her gut. Got her hairs and curlers. And you're eating pizza and it's a all over yourself. And your kids are sitting on the floor watching me. And they're turning to you. And they're going, Daddy, did you, can you ever do anything great like This and you don't know whether to scream or cry, Jack. Now, see, you get in their head like that, and and like you know, you got them. I mean, you got them. Yeah. See, I mean, I could. Yeah. I. Hey, another thing I could tell you—no exaggeration—I would have people in Florida after I left wrestling. Ten years. Ten years. This is no exaggeration. 10 years after I left wrestling, people would see me on the street and they would come up and just start quoting my interviews word for word. Oh, wow. Word for word. My Man, interviews.
1: I you know you're
0: over. Yeah. Yeah. See, I uh, one of the other things I used to say about that, too, I said, listen, what you want to do if you want to be known, if you want to draw money, is when the fans are driving home in their car you no matter where where you were on that card in the middle on top it didn't matter you want those fans driving home to be talking about you see what i'm saying oh, <clears throat> yeah that's how that's that's when you know you're over so you know I mean, that's what I used to do because, I mean, you know, you, you would leave such an impression that, you know, it didn't matter if you were on the main event or not. You still made them talk about you. Yeah, because you offered them something that the other ones couldn't do. Right. There you go. Yeah, yeah. But your, but your perception of that was good,
1: you know. Yeah. Amen. Bugsy, when, when you were in the WWF, so this, this is back, you know, in, in my day when I was a, a teenager, you were paired with uh, Ernie Roth, the Grand Wizard, and this was very formulaic with Vince uh, Sr., that he pretty much paired every wrestler with either Albano, Blassie, or, or uh, the Grand Wizard. Now, this yeah. was great for a guy like a Crusher Verdue, who, you know, very strong man, had a very nice haircut, but had the charisma of a dead moth. Now, you got somebody like... <laughs> You got somebody uh, like you or superstar Billy Graham, do you really do you really need a manager because like you said your promos they were so much they were so unique and there was an element of of psychology in them and and you were very articulate that and I could understand why somebody would think maybe you were a lawyer or a judge or a doctor because you you truly you, you were very eloquent in in what you said it wasn't not only what you said it was how you said it so did you think that there you needed the grand words?
0: There, there you go. You just said something. You got it. See, you got it. It's not just the words; it's how you present them.
1: Right. Absolutely. You got it. You know, like
0: I can give you an example. So I don't want—I don't want to lose my train of thought. So, <laughs> but if I lose my train of thought, don't worry; it's a short train. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so what. A, I think I just lost my train. Is it the
1: Aussie
0: Osborne train? Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, wait a minute. I was trying to think about what I was just going to tell you, right? Oh, with uh, with the Grand Wizard and Lou Albano. When I first went into New York, I was with Lou Albano. And then Vince wanted to switch me over to, yeah, Farouk. Yeah. You
1: know, the Grand Wizard. Yes. So we did, you know.
0: <clears throat> I mean, I got along with all of them, you know. I mean, you know, with Blassie and the Grand Wizard. He was a good guy. I knew I knew that Ernie Roth when I was, was working right, for I mean, Sheik. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, and, uh, uh, and then Lou was good, too. I liked Lou, you know. He was always fun. He was, you know, he was crazy, too, you know. Like, I, you know, like, I'll tell you a quick story. It's kind of changing the subject a little bit. But it, we we work the garden, right? Yeah, <clears> the <throat> main event with Bruno. So we come in, and we get the payoff, and uh, the payoff was not what Lou was expecting, and I thought it was uh, you know I thought it was light too. So we're going into um, the Philadelphia there at the uh, what was that place called? That uh, the Spectrum or. No, no. They used to film there. What was it called? Uh, Yeah, the Civic Center. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they tore it down a long time ago. They tore it down. And there's Lou. He's pacing around, and we're doing the interviews, because that's, you know, we would perform the interviews there in the afternoon that we would wrestle at night. And there's Lou pacing around, You know, the ring and through the chairs, and he's yelling. I mean, everybody can hear him. Everybody. I mean, he's yelling. He's going, You fucking Irish mick, son of (laughs) a. Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) He's talking about, yes, Vince, no good motherfucking Irish prick. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yelling this. And I'm figuring, like, I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of new in the territory. And I thought, hmm, I wonder how long he's he going to have his job? <laughs> I mean, young. Know, well, you know, uh, of course he kept the job because he, you know, he was over, you know. <laughs> like, they ain't gonna fire a little Ain't that stupid? No. <laughs> so, anyway, that's just one of them. And uh, what else? Oh, there's so many other things, man. Yeah you can, tr- you can trigger me on a few things. here, me think. But, um, now what were you we talking about? Cause I, well, want to I, I was training.
1: wondering, like, would, did you uh, prefer to do your own interviews? Did you really feel like you needed a manager? Okay. Okay. Let me,
0: let me say this. I, <clears throat> at that time, <clears throat> I, you know, I just want to be open, honest. Cause, uh, you know, uh, what happened i I grew up as a kid, and uh, they had what what they call a speech impediment, what they call you know you know that um, I stuttered stutter
1: okay
0: yeah, and so for my first years there, <clears throat> I was not that proficient at the interview. I got proficient about. I don't know when this. Like, I'm trying to figure out. Well, you know, I got proficient. I started to get proficient in San Francisco when I was working for Roy Shire. But you know, I, I was always working on my speech because I could see one. It was so important. It was so important that if you wanted to draw money, you had to get on that microphone, and you had to be proficient at it. <coughs> Because I looked around and all the guys that were drawing money could talk, so I just figured, well, I'm going to have to learn how to do this, and not only that, but I'm going to outtalk them. And that's what I did. so there were for there were a few years, well, up until the time, uh, you know, like i I could be really proficient on the interview. And I could talk, you know, for as long as you wanted. Ten minutes, fifteen minutes, I could talk, I could go on and on. And then I get off the interview, and then I would have a hard time with my speech, see. But I have to give I have to give all the credit and all the glory and all the praise to my, yeah, to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because then I began to use his word on on my life and my speech. And my speech improved a lot, so I just have to say that because I'm surely not ashamed of my Savior. Uh, but what are the, what's some other stuff? Yeah, but uh, you yeah, know, when you went to New York, I mean that that was their system, right? At the time I was there, you had Lou Albano. He was really considered the best. Then you had Farouk, the Grand Wizard. Then you had Blassie. And that was their system. They would put you with one of them. If you were a heel, you had to be with one of them. And like Bruno, he had, what's his name? Arnold. Arnold. uh, Skollen, yeah. Skollen. Arnold Skollen, but really and truly, he didn't have to have him at all. No. (laughs) Uh, Bruno could talk, you know. I mean, he was, again, he was well versed. You. you know, you said something before that was, you know, like exact, you said exactly what I believe about Bruno. Now, let me, uh, let me say this about champions. Uh, you said Bruno's San Martino was the greatest champion of all time in professional wrestling. I totally, totally agree. Bruno was the greatest champion of all time. The best champion was Harley race. The most, uh, the the most uh, flamboyant champion was flair. Right. So that's how I rate them. But you're exactly right. Bruno was the greatest. I mean, this guy was, you know, he was big. He was, he was strong. I'll tell you a story you told me about uh, uh, you what know, a powerlifting contest with um, you know Paul Anderson.
1: you know who that is. That name sounds familiar from when Ken Patera was on our show. Yeah, because Paul Anderson won uh,
0: he was in the Olympics, and he, and he won the Olympics, and he, uh, he got the gold medal. But the only reason he won <clears throat> the Olympics at that time was because he was one pound lighter than the other guy that, that uh, lifted the same weight. Well, Bruno, because <clears throat> he, he, he told me this story himself, Bruno did not care for Paul Anderson. <laughs> he just said, I don't know why. I have no idea right now why, but he didn't care for Paul Anderson. But Paul Anderson won the Olympics, right? Blah blah blah. <laughs> so they they later on in life they were in a powerlifting contest. So Bruno knew that Paul Anderson on the bench press his his highest his highest his highest press on the pin on the bench was oh yeah, was was a four was a four seventy five okay so they go in as so though they uh, you know when you're on a contest like that they ask you what you want to start with so bruno said so he wanted to put it to anderson right i mean he, he didn't like him so he said uh i'm going to start i want to start with i want to start with uh, four, uh, you know with you know with the four or seventy five so he said so he told me he said you know, I lifted it, and it was really hard. But then after that, you see Anderson just uh, dropped out of the contest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was on purpose, eh? Because he didn't like Anderson. <clears throat> okay. Now, where were we there, young man?
2: <laughs> Praise God. Well, Bugsy, as we, uh, as we wrap up, I have one final question I was hoping we could get to tonight. Um, we, we bounced around a little bit. We talked about present. We also have kind of some hypotheticals. Uh, but what impact do you think Bugsy McGraw would have had in mid-'80s WWF? We're talking peak Hulkamania, Roddy Piper, that era. Um, I mean, I'm thinking you could have made a small fortune with sick power T-shirts, Bugsy McGraw action figures. Um, actually, it's funny, since I mentioned sick power – uh, can you elaborate for our listeners on that one?
0: Yeah, what'd you call it?
2: Uh, I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, what did you call it? Sick power. Oh, oh sick power.
1: <laughs> yeah, what exactly was it? You said it all the time. What exactly yeah. was sick power?
0: Oh, uh, it was like, you know, for
1: instance, you know,
0: like you're yeah, referring to your mindset, you know. It's not, it's, it's not that you're sick, you know, that you're sick, that you're sick physically. It's like all that's in your head because, you know, the head controls the body. So that, 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 that was my, you know, that was my, that was why I was using it, <clears throat> you know, but it's just the way to get, you know, the yeah the fans to concentrate on you again because you know like I have sick power because I'm sick i can out you know I can outpress you, I can do this, you can't do that on and on and on, you know what I mean, it's like uh you know like you know when you see the yeah when you see the shows on the t v and you have some yet yeah, deranged individual and and they say he's sick, he's really sick, but you know. He's really, he's really, um, uh, but they really fear him. You know what I mean? Could cause that's the other thing I learned too. You know, uh, if you convince the people that you're crazy, they are afraid of you. Right. You know, and, and that, and that, and that helped me on, I don't know how many riots. I mean, that really helped me because otherwise they would have killed me. You know? <laughs>
1: but, but they didn't you got to keep them guessing though right you got to keep him make, make them uh you know make them make them wonder is this guy really is he really crazy or is he just acting you know at least yeah, they're, they're, yeah. Gonna, they're gonna keep their distance from you
0: exactly they <laughs> yeah
1: it's like they, they don't want to find out
0: yeah i don't want to get too close to this guy you know <laughs> he may be really crazy and what's gonna he might happen really be <laughs> crazy right exactly and i might really piss him off <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, geez, uh, yeah. when you were when you were in vancouver though you did sell it was because you were the brute you sold a ton of it was brute power t-shirts then right yes exactly You're so, right. I, I mean if you happen to be and i think you actually at one point you actually you saw pat patterson like in the, it was like 86 87 and you had gotten yourself in really phenomenal shape and uh you, pat said you know pat seemed enthusiastic about you coming back to the then it was the WWF and I really think if if they had uh you know it, that the Bugsy McGraw character at that time in 86 87 you you would have made a ton of a ton of money on merchandise
0: Oh my gosh yeah you know but <clears throat> I you know I'll, I'll be open and honest with you when I saw Pat I I was in Tampa we were down there at the Sun Dome and I went to Pat and I said Pat I'd like to come back to the yeah, in New York, I said, hey, listen, man, I've got myself in fantastic shape again. I'm looking good. I got a great physique on me, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at me and goes, yeah. He goes, yeah, yeah, man, you'll fit right in. This will be good. He said, you call me at the office uh, some Monday. Cause this, was, this was on a Saturday night, right, <laughs> all at the Sun Dome in Tampa. Anyway, so I call him, uh, and they tell me, "Oh, he's not available," and blah blah. So I call Tuesday, "Oh, he's not available," blah blah blah. Then I call Wednesday, "Oh, he's out of town." So I wait till next week, and I try again. You know what? What you have to know about Pat Patterson, and I'll and I'll say it openly. Because I've heard it from others and I heard it from his partner that was a partner with him for years. And that was Ray. So Ray Steven, you can never trust Pat Patterson. So, you know, I could never, he, he for whatever reason, I never heard from him again. He wouldn't, he wouldn't take my calls all at the office. You know. So. Just open and honest, you know. So, uh, from other people that told me, you know, you can't really trust him. So, <clears throat> I found out the hard way.
1: That's a shame. I really think that would have worked. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right because, from what I was told, uh, what's what's his name, uh, George uh, George, uh, Steele, that so he yeah. used a lot of. Yes, that he that he that he used a lot of my stuff. That was like uh the other guy when I was wrestling for Watts and he was no, so yeah. Where was he working? I don't know, something No, I I was working for Fritz. That's right, all in Texas. And he what's his name? The guy with the two by
1: four, I don't know what. what Jim was Duggan, oh. Duggan? Hacksaw or Jim Duggan? Yeah. Yeah.
0: <clears throat> I would have people, wrestlers, referees, and fans. This is no exaggeration. Would come to me and go, Jim Duggan is using your stuff. Anything I would do, you know, that I would create because I,
1: hey,
0: I, I was a creator. Because I knew you had to do something to keep the fans' attention. Once he saw me do it, he'd go do it. <clears throat> and, you know, I had seen him after that. The one thing, though, you know, that I didn't appreciate is that he never just walked up and said, Hey, Bugsy, you know what? I use a lot of your stuff. I want to thank you. He never once ever said that. Uh, I, I only saw him a few times on a few spot shows here and there. <laughs> but yeah, you know, he never said that but but I'm telling you other wrestlers, referees and the fans would come to me and go Jim Duggan is using your same stuff yeah, yeah so that's, but anyway you know, I mean, it's just it, it's just like, you know, you got to You know, you just can't say when you're in professional wrestling, you just can't say, well, I got a job. You got to be out there creating. You got to do something. You got to be thinking.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You know, you you can almost point to the moment that that attitude started to fade away, and it was right around the time that guaranteed contracts and guaranteed minimums became the norm. There was no incentive to get Any more over than you already are. I mean, you got guys. Go ahead.
0: No, no, you're right. But, you know, you did, but you always had a few that, you know, they wanted to get to the very, very top, like, uh, you know, the rock or what's the other guy's name? Austin. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, you know, there were others like, uh, what's his name? So Nick, uh, so so Nick Foley,
2: Nick Foley. Yeah.
0: Yeah, he, I met him a few times when we were, uh, when I was working, um, yeah for TNA, yellow Florida. Right. Yeah. He was always a nice guy. He was always, you know, he was very, you know, very professional and he was always congenial with me. And so, you know, like I hardly knew him at all, but he was very congenial. He, he, he was very nice.
2: Uh, very, but very cool.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, true. But, well,
2: uh, but, uh,
0: yeah. No, I was going to say, yeah.
2: I I appreciate, I mean, I know Benny and I both, we appreciate your time. Um, I love hearing these kind of stories. Uh, before we let you go, uh, any any final thoughts? Uh, any final thoughts? Uh, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's, <like laughs> That's a good one. Any final thoughts before we push you into the graveyard? No.
1: <laughs> That's like when you're on a plane and they say you're you're approaching your final destination. It's like I sure hope not. <laughs> it's
0: like Yeah. Yeah, we lost the wheels on the plane. Anyway <laughs> It's like something like that, you know, you're going. Uh, well yeah there's a couple i'll just tell you uh when with the younger wrestlers you know i would have younger guys they would come up to me and they would talk to me because you get i mean you get all kinds of people or what well the younger guys that want to break into wrestling and i tell them i said uh, now you need two things Two things if you're going to be a professional wrestler to really be successful and draw money. Because that's really what you want to do. You want to be successful and you want to draw money. You know, if you just want a job, you know, so work for whoever. But if you want, you know, so, but to be successful and draw money, it takes two things. One, I would tell them you can't have any fear no fear two you gotta be willing willing to take chances with your body and if you're not able to do those two things you need to find you need to find something <laughs> else to work. Do. Yep.
2: yeah yeah that and, and
0: then the other thing i i really have to say because i've already mentioned it to some degree is that Is that I have found without a doubt, you know, uh, that when you draw, when you draw close to God, and that's the Lord, Jesus Christ, when you draw close to him, he will draw close to you. Amazing, amazing, absolutely unbelievable, amazing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All have happened because I drew close to God, and uh, yeah, yeah, He shows me all the time, every day. Oh, so I just and He's real. He's real, and and if you're willing, willing to accept Him, you you will have an overcoming life.
2: Yeah, Amen. Amen. Well, there you go. That's good. If good if uh, good. A I. I don't want to use the word again. That's as good a twenty, uh, another twenty good years thought as it can get. Right, Benny. Absolutely. <laughs> another
0: twenty years, but it's good. Yeah, I me mean, so. Hand me my cane. I'll hit him in the head and not will take the <laughs> phone. <pump.
1: laughs> well, no. Now, now that we're charting in mm. Ireland, we have to use a Shalali, right? Right. Oh there you go, <laughs> Well,
0: that's like you know, like um, let me tell you you just a little story about vince mcMahon and and also Vince uh, jr. I could tell you stories about junior too, you wouldn't believe, but it's anyway, <laughs> like um, vince so Vince a senior if you know if you came yeah. Uh, yeah, to work for him. Like when I went in to work the territory, right? I I came in from uh, San Francisco, uh, so <clears throat> and I was called the boot. Uh, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm trying to think. No, it, excuse me. Yeah, because I had gone from Vancouver down to San Francisco, and then from, and then and then from, then from. Yeah, from San Francisco to New York. And I was called the Brute. So I, I come in the dressing room that they were, they, they were filming there, all oh, at the Civic Center there in you know, Philadelphia. And Vince, he walks up to me and says, He says, All oh, of it's okay with you. I'd like to change your name. Well, I mean, what am I going to say? <laughs> like, uh, but you know, I mean, I asked him, "Is there some? What's the reason?" He said, "Well, one of the reasons is <clears throat> we had a guy in here that was called the brute." Yeah, before you, but
1: before I don't Bernard, right? I think so. I, yeah,
0: I think so, but I don't know. I don't know when they had him in there.
1: He was years before. Yeah, so, early 60s.
0: Yeah, <laughs> but but that's what he told me. But, but what it was, <clears throat> Vince McMahon and also Junior, too, I mean, really and truly, they were very, very, very Irish. Oh, yeah, I'm talking about, oh, yeah, Irish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so he wanted to change my name. And that's how I got the name. That's Bugsy McGraw.
2: Nice. Yeah,
0: he let me have that name. That was his name for me. <laughs> yeah, Bugsy McGraw.
2: Here, here it is. All these years later, and it's stuck.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It did, young man. It did. <clears throat>
2: wow. It <laughs> well, again, I. I- I appreciate your time. I know we love hearing these kind of stories, and um and Benny, it seems like every week we're barely scratching the surface. So uh, Bugsy, we'll definitely uh we'll have Benny reach out to you after the show uh to get you back on because I know there's so much more to tell. We we had a lot of questions we didn't have time to get to tonight, so we'll do. We'll definitely want you back to to tell more stories if you're willing. Oh uh, uh, yeah,
0: well you know I mean.
2: Uh no, well,
0: yeah, because I really, I really enjoyed my time with you because I can see that you have some insight to the profession that I go on these other podcasts that they really don't have. But you know, I've heard you say things. I go, yeah, this guy's got it. You know, <laughs> which is good. You know, but yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stories I could tell you. I mean, all kinds of stories, but you know, we didn't have time because it would take, you know, that would take we hours. Next hours. week, right? <laughs> <laughs> We'd be talking all night. Yeah. You know. But anyway, I, I'd like to thank you and you and Penny.
1: And it's been good. And
0: it's
1: been a pleasure. I would, it's been great.
0: I really enjoyed myself with you. And, uh, yeah, cause you've got some insight there to, too. Uh, the profession and to just just knowledge in general. What I tell people a lot, you know, the 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 ability to think is priceless.
1: You know, so anyway, very true,
2: very true. But yeah. again, Bugsy, thank you so much. Um, we'll reach out to you after, uh, like I said, afterwards, and and we'll uh, we'll get back to you from there. So for. <laughs>
0: Yeah, just if I can hit the right button on the phone to answer yeah, the Yeah, that's, damn that's always
1: a challenge. <laughs> yeah, well,
0: well, for yeah. me it is. I don't know about you guys, but you know, for me it is.
2: <laughs> we uh, for, I'm the
0: wrong button all the
2: time. As to to avoid the risk of an inside joke, we had a, a little connectivity problem before we started recording tonight. No, nobody seemed to be able to hit that green button on their phones, so. It all worked out, though. Well, I mean, they they you know they, they can't all have the uh, they can't all all have the wheel. What is that? The uh, rotary wheel, like like your old phone did, Benny. So, <laughs> hey man. Oh, well, you're putting
0: it to Benny now. You're really putting it to him, right? the rotary I could still, wheel. I can still <laughs> see
2: that phone.
1: Uh, uh, you know, in, in the, it was right in the kitchen, right by the hallway. And another you know, thing is, like the the phone rang. There was no caller ID. You, right. I mean, you were, It was a crapshoot when you answered the phone. You had no idea they, it could be a girl you don't want to talk to that you broke up with last week.
0: That's a good analogy. Very oh, good. Absolutely. Very good. When the you when the phone when the phone rang, where's the caller? Idea. I don't want to talk to this person. Hello, is
1: this, is this Benny? Uh, uh, no, no, blowing glass. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, buddy, that's good. Yeah. That's good.
2: You know, you got to put everything in perspective, Benny. I know we're recording this on a Tuesday. Uh, the big, big news story from this morning was the passing of Gordon Lightfoot, the folk singer. Oh, yeah, that's he right. He actually, you know, he, you, you talk about dates. He had a, uh, um, what was it? Uh, uh, nine, I want to say it was 85. He had a song um, where he, he wrote, he talks about needing, needing a dime to call her later because they were playing a bunch of his music on the radio this morning. And I thought, I was like, man, even, you know, the back, back, back when the payphone was 10 cents. Well, yeah, the, the yeah. turtles, the turtles song. So happy together. A, if I should call you up, invest a dime. Yeah. or oh, uh, yeah. Tell, tell the operator she can keep the dime. I mean, <laughs> operator <laughs> was Jim. Operator was Jim Croce. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah. As, as time as time catches up with us, we're uh, we're ready to go tonight. So again, thank you so much, Bugsy McGraw, uh, original Long Island Ice B, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Sebastian. I have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time. We're in the ring.
1: Good night. All folks. right.